Huh, okay, gotta end out Toxic Relationship Month. Huh, High Fidelity. Let's see. Should I do it? Top five reasons to do it. One, John Cusack's in it. Two, it's got a great soundtrack. Three, I don't know how to pronounce the female lead. Ibn? 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 Habjibibib? Huh. Top four. Number four. Well, it does have Sarah Gilbert post-Roseanne, but pre, you know, the Connors. And then, ah, number five. Zoe Kravitz's mom is it? Oh, hey, Lils. Hi, Scott. You fucking asshole. Bastard. Yeah, we watched High Fidelity, so it's in the basket. The writer's bagel basket. Shit. Tear me apart, Lisa. You want to be a farmer? Here's a couple of acres. Jack, I want you to draw me like one of your French clothes. How'd you die? How old are you? Because you could be 20-something, but you could also be a teenager. We don't have to be mean. Because, remember, no matter where you go, there you are. Hi, welcome to Writer's Bagel Basket. I am Scott Kerland, and uh, from the voice you already heard in the intro, uh, is this your seventh time? Eighth? Ninth? Tenth? Oh, who's keeping track at this point? It's probably like seven or eight. Yeah, that's a good guess. Lil's Martin's back. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> it's, it's weird that you weren't on for January or February. Uh, everyone was getting sick. <laughs> I know. Um, Everyone had the pox. Yeah, you were supposed to be on for one of the for um for February for Romance Month, and you got sick. Yeah, and then you also got sick. I think. Yeah, that everyone's getting sick. <laughs> I said uh, in the favorite episode that in March I always have a chest cold. Oh yeah. Ever if you listen to any of the episodes from March from the last three years. I always have a chest cold. I I have really bad seasonal allergies, so no matter what time of the year, I always sound like John Linnell from They Might Be Giants, basically. Istanbul. (laughs) So we watched High Fidelity. Yes, we did. And you weren't sure if you saw this. Yeah, I wasn't sure if I had seen it or had just seen clips of it, but now I can categorically say I'm pretty sure I had not seen it. So this one... uh, I think this was the perfect movie to end, uh, you know, you call this romance, Toxic Relationship March. Because we started with Heathers. We started with um, Laura Fox and Ashley Rogers joined us on that one. And then uh, David Allen Prescott did 500 Days of Summer. Haley did The Favorite. And I think it's only appropriate to have you do High Fidelity. Why is that, Scott? <laughs> The main reason why I had you do this is because you you and I created this character called No Boundaries, Bruce Springsteen, <laughs> and I was like, I need Bruce Springsteen's never really been in a movie, and I wasn't gonna have us do Philadelphia, so we could do <laughs> Streets of Philadelphia. So it's not because of my encyclopedic music knowledge. Well, that was part of the reason too. I thought you would appreciate all of like the inside baseball music references and and the insight into you know keeping keeping it, vinyl perfect. It literally stemmed from one post episode recording where we were just riffing on Clarence on the death of Clarence Clemens. Like like you do. 
And we were joking. What if like who, Bruce? Who was, who was the who was the other guy? Was that Cole who was with us or? It, it was Cole. Yeah. And oh no no no, we were in the small cave. It was it was you, me, and Pat. No, I don't think that was it. it oh, we brought it back for that. Yeah, like okay. the actual inception of this bit came oh, after no, an episode it was of Red way, Bagel It was earlier than that. It was it, might, was it, it was me, you, and Mike. Right, that's who I was about to guess. Yeah, it, it was when we did the, the Friends episode, so it's almost three years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because the the joke was that that Bruce Springsteen had no filter, nor did he remember that, that Clarence Clemens had passed away. And this was this was on, this is on stage while this is happening with Clarence Clemens' kid on uh, sax. His, his nephew Jake. His nev yeah, his nephew Jake on sax. It right? was like it was like, hey, can you believe how young Clarence looks? <laughs> no, I'm his nephew Jake. It's like he hasn't aged a day. Hit it, Clarence. I'm I, I'm Jake. Clarence Clarence is dead. No, what? I'm pretty sure he wasn't. <laughs> Hey, Clarence, you remember that time that me and Nils Lofgren were off doing that thing and we were having all kinds of fun? No, I don't, because I'm not Clarence. I'm Jake. We've been over this many times. No, we haven't. <laughs> I'd remember something like that. I don't think you would, Bruce. I just love no filter, no boundaries, Springsteen. <laughs> I think it eventually just sort of deteriorated to him just giving a really terrible eulogy at Clarence Clemens' funeral without realizing he was at a funeral. Oh, yeah. I remember this one time I went to the premiere of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, uh, and I turned to Clarence and I said, hey, is that you with the high-top fade? Do you remember that, Clarence? Clarence? I remember this one time I was over on Paul Simon's yacht, and then he said, hey, what would it be like if I just stuck my hand up your ass? And, Where's the bar in this place? Uh, Mr. Springsteen, this is a funeral. Yeah, it is a fun time, isn't it? That's not what I said. <laughs> so, so uh, I don't remember what exactly what we said, but I think Cole needed resuscitation, basically. No, I mean, it, Mike, it, Mike, Mike did. Mike, Mike was laughing pretty hard yeah. when we did that. Um, so I, I picked this for. And it was funnier than the Friends episode. <laughs> Hey, let's sing a song. Clarence, do you remember the solo to Jungle Land? I'm Jake. No, you're not. You like friends, right? I'll be there for you. Take it, Clarence. I'm not Clarence. Hey, little Stevie, you leave me out of this. You're not on The Sopranos anymore, right? No, no. I'm on Lilyhammer. Oh, right. I forgot about that. H how do you remember that and not know that I... Hey, Clarence, remember Lilyhammer? That was a good show. Until it got canceled. <laughs> no boundaries. Uh so yeah, when I was like, I I need I need to find something that has Bruce Springsteen in it or that he was a part of to have Lil's too. <laughs> no boundaries, no filter Springsteen. And there is like of course there is no reason for him to have shown up at all. This movie okay, so this movie is a toxic relationship, but I actually have like a lot of love for this movie. I saw this in theaters with my dad. It came out when I was in sixth grade. So you were probably in like fifth grade. Yeah, yeah. So my dad gave me two options. We could, he was like testing me to see if I would pick like the more adult movie or if I was going to stay in kitty land. <laughs> and, um, so it was either see this or see my dog skip. Because hmm. I am aching for some bacon. 
Doesn't did... doesn't that movie also take kind of a like oh it got depressing turn though? No, like the dog lives to be twenty. Oh. I don't know. I've never seen my dog skip. It's a very depressing movie, but it's got a race car driver in it as the star. <laughs> a race car driver whose house was destroyed by his cat. <laughs> Do you hear Re- about? Th- I did not hear about that. Yeah, Haley told me about this. What what happened with with Frankie Muniz's cat? Oh, it um, it turned the water on while he was away and <laughs> flooded his whole house. <laughs> Destroyed everything. <laughs> Real talk, that cat did it on purpose. Yeah, I, I own a cat. I know that they they will murder humans at their at their next availability as soon as they figure out how to get the food for themselves. Malcolm's in the middle of a home renovation project. Ah, uh, player out, Clarence. I'm Jake. <laughs> so so yeah. Um, then I saw this with my dad, and my dad was like, "That was a really good movie." I was like, "It really was. That was a good movie," and it doesn't age very well now with like the whole incel like men being pigs. But I I still I still love you know a man child realizing that a his business is failing, his relationships are shit. And he really needs to get his act together. And he's trying not so hard until he realizes it's way too late because he's a toxic, toxic human being. Hmm. Yeah, no no kidding. I mean, <laughs> he, like, straight from the beginning, I think after, like, maybe the first couple of sentences John Cusack's character utters, like, I think I just remarked, I already hate him. It was literally after his first line. It was, what came first? The sorrow or the misery, and you go, fucking hate this guy. That's like pseudo fucking life journal poetry bullshit right there. Well, okay, so, uh, do you know the backstory of high fidelity? Uh, Not really, no. So in London, high fidelity was one of the highest grossing books of all time. This is based on a book by Nick Hornby, and for years they tried to make this into a movie, and... Nick Hornby always wanted it to stay in London. It had to be like a um a British actor like an Alan Rickman type. Mm. Like the studio Touchstone wanted to always bring it to America and they wanted like Hugh Grant or someone who is charmingly British like a Kenneth Branagh type. Mm. Uh but he owns a record shop in like New York or Boston and then John Cusack came aboard and Nick Hornby is like, Cusack's doing it and setting it in Chicago. I'm fine. Hmm. Like, like Cusack took him through. Like, we're gonna keep Rob Gordon as a idiot man child. He's gonna be able to admit, like he does in the book, that he's wrong. Because this is actually, this is one of my favorite books. If the book, he's more layered and more complex because he realizes how superficial he is, where mm-hmm. in this, he he realizes it, but he doesn't accept it. Yeah, I mean, like, he does go through some changes, like, over time, but I feel like at his very core, it really doesn't seem like he changes all that much. Because I feel like, I mean, maybe I'm reading into it too much, and this kind of turned, but this kind of turned me off of it, because I feel like very frequently, the movie was trying to make a point, maybe kind of subtly, that, like, you know... You're wrong to be this obsessed with your obsession, which in his case would just be records. Because, like, it always tends to depict him, like, 
at some of his worst behavior when he's getting really, really into music. And I'm and it's I was watching that going, I'm into music. What the fuck? It's not it's not that I like top ten lists too. No, it, it what it's saying is you can love something, just don't be a dick about it. Like, cause the way they treat people, like the the whole point is that like Jack Black's character is so offensively mean to people who don't like who don't look the way he wants them to look. Like mm. the guy who wants the Captain Beefheart album, right. the way he treats him is so bullshit. And Alex Deserts, who plays their 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 cool hip friend, Lewis. Who then never appears in the film ever again. In the deleted scenes, he comes back. He in the deleted scenes, um, he's actually in the record store day day in when they play the beta band the stiff fingers mm-hmm. um and he's also at the club when they do the ending of the movie so, just on hand both times to go hey that's good bye <laughs> uh and back into the crowd i go see you later guys i gotta go back to boy meets world and hang out with Corey matthews uh because <laughs> or what was the other joke? Okay, I gotta Something go be a Becker. I gotta go back to Becker and be a blind newspaper salesman. My life is just a rich panoply. <laughs> I think that's the first time we've ever had the term panoply on the bagel basket. <laughs> man, you're getting us too sophisticated. <laughs> oh man, I wish we had sponsors so I could be like, and this episode is brought to you by Juicy Fruit. <laughs> It was, I will also say, really hard for me to watch Jack Black's character. I mean, Jack Black is indeed entertaining in almost everything he does. But at the same time, like, you know, watching him be like all snobby and stuff, in the back of my mind, I was just kind of like, that was me at one point. That was all of us. Because I I got that way with movies. Especially during college. I was the worst music snob in college. I was, uh, I still am a movie snob. I try not to be, but like when it, Anytime someone talks about black and white cinema or, you know, 70s cinema or even John Hughes cinema, I turn into the biggest prick. I mean, I'm still very picky when it comes to music, but also not like, you know, the way Jack Black acted when the guy just came in and wanted some Stevie Wonder for his daughter, which in in his defense, stupid idea. Yeah, like, I mean... Don't give your daughter Stevie Wonder during, like the aughts well maybe if it was like songs in the key of life i mean what what like teenage daughter or even younger during the aughts wants stevie wonder well wouldn't that be from the woman in red soundtrack so he would literally have to buy the woman in red soundtrack so no no little girl or 12 year old girl or 18 year old girl wants an album with gene wilder's face in between kelly lebrock's boobs i bet none of them even know that movie even existed well that's what that song is from and it won the oscar for it like Oh boy. Yeah, well, the 80s was a hell of a time. Yeah. Nothing really happened. But getting back to this movie, I mean, the, his his entire arc is looking back on his failed relationships and finding out why they failed. When he started learning lessons, you feel good for him. But the one person that I feel awful for, you, you mentioned while we were watching this that there's no real redeeming person. But Penny Hardwick, his girlfriend from high school who... who uh, he broke up with who he thought she broke up with him. She is a good person. 
she is a decent person and and she got so screwed by him because she's like well i would like to help you but remember you broke up with me and and i was in love with you but then another guy came along and yeah i slept with him i mean he kind of forced himself on me but i said yes but i couldn't have sex for almost 10 years because of you yeah and that kind of ties back into the whole kind of incelly kind of thing cuz and also just as much about how it really doesn't seem like he redeems himself all that much cuz he like he's technically looking inward but at the same time very frequently trying to like deflect blame from himself like You're right not, I did break make, up with you and making all kinds of excuses for that sort of thing and it's and like the level that he goes to to like you know I mean ostensibly he's trying to make it right with himself but at the same time it just comes off as really obsessive and creepy like a lot yeah, he's a major dick. Major dick. Um, but also, his girlfriend, who causes all of this existential crisis, Laura, she's not much better. No, she's not. She's really, really not. And the worst thing I think she actually does is date Tim Robbins. <laughs> Whom I thought was uh, both Bruce McCullough and Mark McKinney before I realized it was Tim Robbins. Yeah, he... he well, the first time I saw the movie... I knew that Tim Robbins was in the movie, but I I did think, because I was one of those 12-year-olds who watched Kids in the Hall, I'm like, hey, he looks like Mark McKinney. Tim Robbins, who, and I will never let this go, does not know what tikka masala is. Yeah, he said tiki masala. And then when it cuts to the thing, it's a friggin' salad. It's not even, it's not even a salad. It's a bunch of tomatoes <laughs> cut up next to some hummus and some pita bread. It's like... I mean, I saw, like, some leaves of some sort, like some kind of arugula or something like that, but that's, I mean, either way you look at it, that ain't tikka masala. His bathroom must smell terrible. He must have, like, awful vegetarian shits. <laughs> I bet he owns, like, 20 dream catchers too. Like my record collection? Oh, when he shows up in the record store, <laughs> the first thing I said to you is, like, he's probably there to buy a Rusted Roots album. And then when he's, like, on his way out, also, I would like to pick up this string cheese incident album, please. <laughs> oh, man. Do you have the latest by Ariel Pink? So l- let's break down the five relationships that he goes through. The first one is when he's... The top five relationship, the top you might five. say? Alice and Ashford. There's a lot of top five lists in here. Oh, yeah. This movie could have just been called instead of High Fidelity. It could have been just called Top Five. Um, but that is a movie with Chris Rock. But his top five breakups are Alice, Allison Ashford, Charlie Nicholson, Penny Hardwick, or Hardgro- Hardwick, uh, 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 Sarah Lily Taylor. I forget Sarah's last name. And then Laura, who we never learned Laura's last name. Hmm. And Allison Ashford was, he was like 13 or 14. I mean, the fact that he bothers to rank his breakups... That should be the first red flag right there. You don't rank breakups. You rank, you know... You rank favorite albums, favorite TV shows, favorite slices of pie. I'm not a pie person. Eh, pie's good. Haley is a pie person. I'm more of a cookies and cake person. Cookies and cake are also good. Yep. Um, I all goods in general are good. <laughs> this is now a baked goods podcast. <laughs> Let's talk about the Great British Bake Off. They're so nice to each other. No one is ever concerned about anything. No, there's no stakes. There's just nice. There's just nice, delightful. They're soufflés. so nice. There's, but it, it's sad when Mary Berry left. 
Um. (laughs) (laughs) Not to mention the large bald squirrel incident. What? You didn't hear about that? No. (laughs) It's a major, like, there was, like, a major, like, uh, fallout after the, they, uh, you know how they go back and forth between like the bakers and the farm animals? Yeah. There was a squirrel with gigantic nuts. <laughs> oh dear. And everybody was talking about it. <laughs> I didn't know that. I did not know that either. <laughs> but back to high fidelity. So his first failed relationship. Okay, I don't count middle school relationships as like anything devastating as well you shouldn't because he was what 13 or 14 yeah and at that age no one knows anything all he did was make out with the girl behind the bleachers for three days and then on the third day she ends up making out with i said tim robinson from snl and you went dark i said he kind of looked like a young jeffrey jones oh god second time in this month (laughs) that monster has been brought up but my but yeah, I mean the point still stands. No one knows like what they should be doing that early of an age. And if you do, you're a sociopath. He he gets pretty sociopathic at points. Like yeah, he, that's he's true. like, Yeah, I don't feel <laughs> Oh, why are you crying? Is it because I put the cigarette out on your face? Um But so so then he calls Allison Ashford, which which he doesn't have her number, he looks in his little black book. Uh, d- don't show me a picture of a squirrel Haley with giant nuts. Haley just showed us the picture of the squirrel oh, it's as a delightful little interlude. <laughs> but this is incredibly high audio quality, <laughs> audio content right here. Yeah, this is probably going to be the one episode this month that doesn't have any audio clips from the actual movie. Um, so, uh, but she, he calls her her mom. Because he doesn't have her number. And he's like, yeah, I was her first boyfriend. And then he insults this woman and like basically treats this mother like crap. Like, Mm. no, I was her first boyfriend. It was me. I made out with her for three days. Way to tell this woman that her daughter is a slut. Oh, boy. Like, like, granted, they were just kissing. but Right. But still be like, no, I made out with your daughter first. That's, that's Yeah, your too- 13-year-old daughter was a whore. <laughs> a whore. She was a whore. <laughs> but, so, so yeah. Um, and then he's like, that felt great. That was amazing. I told off a complete stranger of many, many years. I could take on the world. Um, so he he then goes to Penny, Penny Hardwick, um, who I actually, this, this actress, um, I thought she was adorable. She was on, um, uh, what TV show was she on? Um, she's on, um, uh, Justified. Mm -hmm. Um, and she was great on that. Uh, Joelle Carter. Um, and one of my favorite lines in the movie is is when he's talking about search and destroy, how when you're like 16 or 17 and you're making out with a girl, you always try to cop a boob feel. Like, like, um, but, I mean, I don't think he used such colorful language. He, what he says is they're like little pieces of property that we feel are entitled to us and we want them back. And I got yeah, so... Yeah, but he didn't call them boob. 
He said breasts. I know. Like, like they which say sounds bre- creepier, right? Like they say breasts and making love in this movie, and it's so creepy. Like anytime someone says in a movie, "We made love," it's like, ugh, no. It's like it was written by a doting housewife. Yeah, like in real life, if you say that to your betrothed, that's fine. In private, but not not for the world to say. <laughs> To have any say in. Can you say that away from society where we can hear you? But the best line is when he goes, I got so tired of uh, trying to cop a feel on her boobs. <laughs> I, I would go between her legs. It's like asking for a dollar and getting turned down and then asking for 50 grand. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that that's that. So John Cusack wrote the screenplay with Steve Frank um, I mean Steve Pink, uh, mm-hmm. Scott Frank is who I was. Thinking. I did not know that uh, John Cusack had a hand in writing the screenplay. Him, Steve Pink, and Scott Rosenberg, um, and DV Devincis, De- 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 who that guy wrote um, American Crime Story, uh, the Versace one. Yeah. Um, and he wrote Gross Point Blank. And he wrote uh, Blade. He wrote Blade. <laughs> That's an interesting career I, path. I'm, I'm pretty sure he was a script doctor on that. Oh. Um, Still, interesting career path. But Steve Pink made Hot Tub Time Machine and Scott Rosenberg. Do you think John Cusack's character was uh, DJing at the Blood Rave? (laughs) Okay, so... It seems like a lateral move for him. As a DJ, how were his DJ skills? Because you are a DJ. I can't really tell because there weren't really a lot of camera angles focused too hard on watching him actually DJ so much. Also, I don't DJ with vinyl, so I feel like I'm not totally qualified to comment on that sort of thing. Can you DJ with vinyl? I mean, I have maybe once or twice. I'm not great at it, but, like, I mean, if you're, like, really professional grade, then you can do it, like, you know, yeah. perfectly with well, just perfect <laughs> perfect transitions, perfect, all that kind of stuff. I just, I I'm just get, picture... I'm getting off topic, I, of I picture you DJing with vinyl. You just hear a scratch. Oh, oh, sorry. Gotta stop the music. Stop the music. <laughs> I got to check the vinyl. Everyone, stop! Shut the fuck up, everyone! This is important! The The only thing I will say is that um, the first scene that they show him, like, DJing, uh, they did play, like, uh, I forget the title of it, but it's a Chemical Brothers song that I really like a lot. The music in this movie is really good. Like, like apparently, the producers in him... And the writers fought over what music to have. And Stephen Frears, who is a very British director, Stephen Frears made, um, uh, oh my God, uh, what's the, it's that Steve Coogan one. Um, I know he made Stan and Ollie, but he also, Imogene or, uh, Penelope, Penelope. Hmm. He made The Queen, he made Dangerous Liaisons, uh, he was the narrator of Cherie. <laughs> um, but like, he's a very well-established award-winning director. Um, he made the queen. He made the deal. High fidelity, high low country. Like he's, he's a well-known and well-established director. Mm. So he's like, I don't care what music you put in. Just tell me what I'm putting in. <laughs> like, mm. So he let them pick the music. So um, when they play Harry Nilsson, that was all Cusack, um, Chemical Brothers, you know, 
Yeah, it's, it was an interesting selection of music, to be sure. Um, I got really excited when they played. I the heard uh, the river at one point by Springsteen. <laughs> Not yeah. no boundary Springsteen, regular Springsteen. Yeah, the real. Our apolog- I go down to the river. It's a song about abortion, guys. <laughs> Take uh, it, Clarence. Okay. Fucking. I'm leaving the band, man. No, you can't. The doors are locked from the outside. Well, that means you can't get out, too. Uh-oh. <laughs> um. Now there's nothing but boundaries. Let's talk about Springsteen's scene. Yeah. <laughs> so so after he talks to Allison Ashford's mom, he he is like, I feel great. I want to see the rest. I want to see Penny and Charlie and, God, we haven't even gotten to Catherine Zeta-Jones, who's a fucking nightmare in this movie. And then just out of nowhere, Bruce Springsteen just shows Cause, up. Because he's like, it's like a Bruce Springsteen song. He's like, yeah, sure, you call them up, you see them how they're doing, you know, you, you introduce them to Clarence. <laughs> I wonder if that's just something he regularly does. Like, he just has Bruce Springsteen just as a voice in his head that he just talks to every so often. I mean, the original choice in the trivia was it was supposed to be Bob Dylan. That no, that would not have done at all. Well, I I wish it was like incomprehensible Bob Dylan. It's like I mean, yes, you do, and then you go in the early aughts. That would have been the Bob Dylan they would have gone with. Yeah, yeah, you show up in that yeah, damn in there, yeah. It just cuts back to John Cusack going like, uh. Say that again? Yeah, yeah. I'll, 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 fig- I'll figure it out myself, okay? You haven't. It wasn't anyone who took my advice. Yeah, it wasn't another lifetime. And then we just started riffing on other people who were. <laughs> or maybe just Paul McCartney. <laughs> I'm here too. I think you should do this, John Cusack. Oh, so you do what I do, you grab a chick who has one leg and then she takes all your money. Paul McCartney, you weren't even on the casting call. How'd you get in? The door was unlocked. I've got a deal with the food truck guy. He let me in. They also had really nice empanadas. I like those a lot. Yeah, and, the, and then our old favorite, old reliable. Oh, hi. I'm here too. Hey, it's me, David Lynch. I am also David Lynch. Here oh, hey, David. David Lynch. Are we musicians yet, David Lynch, or no, is that not for a while? No, no, David. We're we're here because our good friend Ringo is having his birthday, and we play every year at the Tower Records. Where is Ringo? I need to say hello, and then Ringo's go stand the song by- about an octopus. Hello, Ringo. Now that I have accomplished this, I'm going to go stand by that radiator for the rest of the night. All right, I'm going to go get a damn fine cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um, every episode. <laughs> every I got. I love it. I love it. <laughs> but Springsteen is an interesting choice because, like, if they couldn't get Springsteen, who would they get? Like, John Cougar Mellencamp? <laughs> I'm only here because Springsteen said no. <laughs> Dylan said no, too. Maybe Rick Springfield? <laughs> it's like a Bruce Springsteen song, and, and then Rick Springfield <laughs> just goes <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I gotta tell you, I, you're not Bruce Springsteen. I know, but I'm not actually here, so just go with it. <laughs> but yeah, like I'm just a figment of your imagination. The drugs you're taking are not working. I would love if it was like BB King. He's like, <laughs> oh yeah, you call him up. You with Lucille, do 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 do. 
You're not Bruce Springsteen either. No, I'm saying instead of instead of Bruce oh. Springsteen, they got BB King. It's like a BB King song. Yeah, that bitch owes you money. Uh, yeah, it's like a Klaus Nomi song. Oh, hello. <laughs> I'm spacing. I can't think of a Klaus Nomi song right now. So you got David Bowie. My mama told me to do the best you can. And be a simple kind of man. You woke up the dogs. <laughs> yeah, there's dogs. Our dogs. It's, my, Cla- it's Klaus Nomi. Klaus Nomi wakes up dogs. Yeah, my dogs were sleeping and Klaus <laughs> Nomi woke them up. Stella, I mean, Stella kind of gave me a look that is just like, don't. Just don't. Not today. So, yeah, I mean, Springsteen, first off, he's a New Jersey performer. If they wanted... The movie takes place in Chicago. Yeah. If you who, want a Chicago musician, get like... Yeah, who's a good Chicago musician? Tom Waits is from Chicago. I thought he was from California. I thought he was from Chicago. Huh. huh. Get Peter Cetera. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Peter Cetera song. You call them up um, and they no, say You, you know what? Ne- ne- never, mind. never mind, Pete. I, I think I'm fine. The lady that you, you love you can, just you can go doesn't now. Pete, Pete, you can you can go now. Yeah, how, how, how about I just go? Are you feeling the way? <laughs> like, are there any true Chicago musicians? Uh, I'm sure <laughs> there belly? are. I can't. <laughs> I, I'm spacing on one right now. <laughs> I I I thought. Tom Waits was from Chicago. I'm going to look this up now. I was going to say Michael McDonald, but I don't think he's from Chicago. Taking it to the street. Taking it to the street. You got this girl. You broke up with her. Scott's looking it up right now. Uh, Oh, what do you know? Is that we got the Tom Waits Wikipedia up? Yeah, he what do we was got? Tom Waits, born in Pomona, California. But I think he moved to Chicago. Moved to New York in the eighties. He used to date Bette Midler and Ricky Lee Jones. <laughs> the, those are two things that no, he stuck to San Diego and Pimento, California. Ah. <laughs> uh, Sorry, John, I can't help you there. But if I could, I'd tell you something about one-legged Sue and her army of midgets. You know it's going to be like You can't say that word anymore, Tom. <laughs> you know it's going to be someone weird like like Frank Zappa. I'm looking it up right now. Captain Beefheart. Chicago, the Smashing Pumpkins are from Chicago. <laughs> Billy Corgan. <laughs> it's like a Billy Corgan song. You call her up, and then she goes. Sorry, I'm just picturing like modern Billy Corgan now, who's kind of a libertarian dickhead <laughs> that just sits around drinking warm milk all day. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Chicago and Peter Cetera showed up four times, and then it says Smashing Pumpkins. So I guess he had to go with Springsteen. <laughs> it's like a Bruce Springsteen song. It's like a Billy Corgan song. It just shows him on screen for like one second. He's about to talk. Like, nope, 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 nope. I'll, I'll, I'll find someone else. <laughs> um. So yeah, like, 
this was like a fever dream for him. Like, yeah, I would love for Bruce to be like, hey, why am I in your dream? Whoa, what am I doing here? Hey. Oh, Tom Petty is from Chicago. Oh, okay. It's like that, a Tom. That might have actually been a good. That might have actually been a not so silly addition yeah. to it. It's like a Tom Petty song. Yeah, uh, yeah. Do you do the thing? You just that, call up the girl all, and you do the stuff. That that all you got, Tom? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, okay, thanks. Sure thing. I oh, think. Can I have a ride? <laughs> You're not here, Tom. You're a figment of my imagination. Oh. Bye. <laughs> I'm gonna go sue Sam Smith now. <laughs> Um, so yeah, like he, I feel so bad for these women because he calls them up and some of them like are in dire straits. Like Lily Taylor's character, who she was the girl that he ended up with after Catherine Zeta Jones. Um, cause Catherine Zeta Jones, Charlie Nicholson is a fucking nightmare. Ugh. That character is the most toxic person because all she cares about is um, herself. I get the feeling like the movie was very, very unsubtly trying to frame it like, you know, this is this is the gender bent equivalent of you. Like this is what like this is this is the mirror being turned upon thyself. Yeah. And and like Scott is being attacked by dogs right now. <laughs> attacked McCoy. attacked McCoy. attacked with kisses. Oh, McCoy. <laughs> Okay, buddy. All right, you can stay in my lap during the podcast. That's fine. Um, this is pretty cute. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, like she is truly the the gender bent version of him. She she has no respect for anyone else's opinion except for hers, just like he does. Um, she hangs out with awful people, just like he does. Which, uh, Jack Black, I think is is the worst person he hangs out with. Poor Todd Luazo. Like, he he's a music snob, but he's just like, he's like... He's the, a very soft-spoken music snob. Yeah. Not like, not like Jack, Ma- Jack Black, who's just a huge loudmouth all the time. Jack Black has the biggest entrance of the whole movie. Playing this mixtape that he made with Walking on Sunshine. But then he's like, come on, play the next song. Play it. Say it. Little Latin loopy loops, <laughs> and I gotta say, like that feels like a power move. Opening a mixtape with "Walking on Sunshine" it's for like the, for like mixtape sort of stuff. It's the most eightiest thing you can do in the early two thousands. <laughs> and, um, yeah, the the way they talk about music, the way they treat music, it's not like it's a curse, but. The toxic relationship of it all is how women treat him and how he treats them. Because the main crux is, the main relationship is is him and Laura. And Laura is played by, um, her name is so hard to pronounce. She's a Swedish actress. Um, Eben, Eben, uh... Well, I'm certainly not going to know it. I know you're not. I know, I know. And my phone froze. Um, Iben, and you pronounce it... 
Hajiji? Hajiji? Where is that? It's next to Jack. I've been... It looks like it says Hajiji, but that could be like, you know, a J to... Like a J to... There's no Unlots. Like it could be Hiyeye or something like that, but I don't know. Um, Yeah, their relationship is just so toxic because the movie opens up with them breaking up. Right. Like, that's what leads him down this journey. And you find out that, that... she breaks up with him for many reasons. Like, she should have left him because he cheated on her while she was pregnant. And he borrowed $4,000 from her and never <laughs> returned it. Um, so there's already, like, red flags straight from the start. Right. But she breaks up with him because she starts hanging out with or, or getting close to Ian, played by Tim Robbins. The rusted root guy. Yeah. And the guy who doesn't know what tikka masala is, <laughs> tiki masala, um, and she's no better than he is. Yeah, she she was. <sighs> she says that she didn't sleep with him because she was with Rob, but she was having a relationship, with- right? And like, I mean, tying into that, like all kinds of parts of her throughout the film seem just very, very superficial. Yeah. I mean, how easily they get back together is also toxic after her father dies. Oh, yeah. I mean, that just completely just blew my mind because, like, he goes to her father's funeral. He basically, like, makes a... He almost makes a scene... I'd like because of something <laughs> um, having be- to do with himself. Because uh, Joan Cusack, who Lils, you got to do Joan Cusack by doing the "Hi, Scott." Yeah, because <laughs> the most famous line in this movie is "Hi, Rob, you fucking <laughs> asshole," and then she walks away. Um, she is having a conversation with uh, Laura's sister, and they're clearly talking about Rob being a dick and he said I'll, I'll just pretend like you're not talking about me and technically they were but they weren't because they were talking about Laura and like all the shit she's gone through I mean I'm not sure who's really right in that scenario because clearly like Rob was may clearly Rob was like escalating a situation but at the same time Rob's sister and her friend why Laura's the hell sister. are they talking about that at a funeral right right that's wholly inappropriate true he he loses his shit on her like he's like i could just let you believe the things or believe the things about myself that you think about me and like and then they're like maybe you should just apologize to laura and then he does and they get back together and they do it in the car after he falls into a flower bed it's weird yeah laura just runs into him not literally while he's just sort of walking in the rain which is a very john cusack thing for him to be doing He's in the rain four times in this movie yeah, that's a ve- that's a very Cusackian thing to be happening. <laughs> but basically, she offers him a lift. They drive to just like a spot underneath a sycamore tree. She said it's the park that her dad like used to take her to. Yeah, that's not edible in the slightest. <laughs> it's not edible in the slightest. <laughs> um and then they get back together and Well, I mean, more specifically, like they get to the spot and then she asked him to have sex with her. Right. After a funeral. But but leading up to that, like he got upset with her because she finally slept with Ian after he slept with Lisa Bonet's character. Lisa Bonet has like 
a minuscule part in this movie where where she is she's tracy chapman <laughs> kind of she's like this weird natalie merchant tracy chapman like alanis morissette character named marie DeSalle. right and she she's she's the most healthy person in this movie because she talks about um she's not hung up on anything yeah basically. she's like we were both lying we we're both still hung up no she said she's still hung up on her ex but we played it cool ah. like like we're fine with it but all i want to do is fuck then i mean like she's she's very self-aware of like yeah, all that she, sort of she, stuff she said why am i gonna let going through a breakup right now prevent me from having sex yeah she's not like a just a big neurotic mess like john cusack's character um and she, she I don't I don't just mean in this film by the way. I mean all John Cusack movies. I I like John Cusack. John uh, Cusack's fine. I like John Cusack from the 80s until about this was like the last movie I truly loved of his. Mm. Um and uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean she's she's the healthiest person. <laughs> she truly is because she doesn't let anything bug her. Um, right. I mean, that doesn't really bode very well for the mental stability of every other character in the movie, but all the same, though. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to find the tracks of her yeah. CD, like her album. Right. But yeah, having having sex immediately after a funeral, like the on the drive home, that's... That's and she, not a yeah, healthy coping she, mechanism but, in the slightest. But, but not just that. She's like, well, you clearly want me back, so I guess I should go back to you. No, oh. No. You, she, that she, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Um, So the, these are the tracks on her album. Marie DeSalle's album is track number one, Baby I Love Your Way. Track two, Eartha Kit times two, Patsy Cline times two in some versions what? track track number three wait is that the title of the song eartha kit times two yeah track number three ghostbusters track four <laughs> okay this is starting to seem like just sort of an in joke like nah they're not gonna pause the movie and actually look at the track list uh ghostbusters beat it baby got back Nine one one is a joke <laughs> I will survive. Oombop. My heart will go on. You can't have it. The time is now. Well, there you go. Wait. I mean, she The time see- is now as in the Smiths? The time is now? Uh, you're thinking of How Soon Is Now. Oh, How Soon Is Now. <laughs> I Th- mean... That's a more appropriate song. She seemed like way too earnest of a performer to be doing like, you know, for her big debut full length to just be a whole bunch of like doofy goofy quirky folky covers and this was like the early aughts there wasn't that kind of level of you know hipster folky irony going on by that point yet so yeah that's the only explanation i can think of that this was just this was just like a little sight gag that for anyone that bothered to pause the rec for anyone that bothered to pause the movie i almost said pause the the record (laughs) the way (laughs) pause the record the way she sings like her songs. Now I want to hear her version of Ghostbusters. Because <laughs> there's something strange in your neighborhood. She kind of sounded like Sade a couple times. 
Hush, hush. Ah, ah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Lauren, him, like, as soon as things get good for them again, uh, these shoplifter kids, uh, who tried to steal from his store. Yeah, they they look like <laughs> they they look like dead ringers for the the street toughs at the beginning of Romeo X Juliet. Yeah. I bite my tongue at you, sir. Um, you bite your tongue at me, sir. I bite my tongue. Um, but yeah, they they turn out to be really good musicians. Barry gets into a yeah, band. I, I'm not sure I believe that for reasons we'll get into later. <laughs> Why? Let, let's get into it now. Well, I mean, like, what are they stealing from? They're stealing like a bunch of records and a little thing on how to self-record at home. Right. And then you listen, and then later you hear the thing that they supposedly recorded, and it sounds way too polished and intricately arranged for just two doofuses in a garage, unless they also happen to have been stealing really fancy drum machines and We stole from Massive Attack! And- <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, that. I like that, that they were just, they just broke into Massive Attack's tour van one day. Oh, we got these master recordings. That's why they had to cancel earlier this year. No one actually got sick. They just didn't want to admit that those two guys stole from them. The kinky wizards? <laughs> yes, the uh, kinky. <laughs> um, so yeah, like when when they were like like showing off the final product, they're just oh, what's their band name? And I immediately popped in the Soup Dragons. And then they said the Kinky Wizards. Oh, like I said, the Soup Dragons. <laughs> I'm, I'm free, free to, to do, do what, what I, I want in an old time. Um, they did sound like the Soup Dragons, though. Yeah, they Def- sounded like kind Massive of, Attack, like that's, that, that we like that kind of. Early mid '90s, Madchester dance rock, <laughs> like Soup Dragons or Primal Scream, that kind or of stuff. All the bands I like, like yeah, Teenage Fan Club, like they would have fit in perfectly on Pulp the uh, on the World's End soundtrack. Yeah, which is an album which I think is one of the greatest oh, yeah. soundtracks of all time. Oh yeah, I I agree with you totally on that. <laughs> um, so like when his life starts going well, it's because he has Laura, but then like. It shows how fragile their relationship is because he starts to get interviewed by this, you know, let's call her a floozy uh, for, for like, the Chicago Reader or something. Like, she's like, oh, hey. I how so- dare you, Scott? She is a professional journalist. She showed up. She looked like she was Victoria Beckham. She was wearing, like, a cocktail dress <laughs> and a frilly, like, clueless cardigan. And she's like, hey, your name's Bob, yeah, right? Yeah, she, she was kind of wearing an outfit that's just like, I want Ugg boots, except they're sleeves. Yeah. <laughs> she looked like she came right out of the 90s. Basically. Um, And and then like he's like, what am I doing? And and the one time when he's talking to the audience, that was one thing that drove you crazy, was that he talked to the audience. <laughs> yeah, just like in the middle of while he was... Like, in the middle of while he's doing anything. Like, at one point, he's just sort of walking through the subway, just like, and another thing to the camera. And we were just kind of riffing, just like, Mommy, Mommy, who's that man talking to? Don't worry, don't worry, son. Just If he asks for a quarter, just give him one. And if he asks for a dollar, give him 50 grand. Can I have $4,000? Okay, we're going, we're going. Get in the car. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like, like I, I always thought talking to the camera or narration 
was not a great device. I made the mistake of doing that in early like college films. I but. mean, it's kind of just sort of a hack move at this point. Like it's it's a it's a like it's an archetype that's mocked more than anything. Well, it it's but, where that little, you know, that joke where it's just like record scratch. Yep, that's me. You must be wondering how I got here. Bye. Is that more Chicago? No, it was uh, Apache. Okay. For some reason, I thought it was a Chicago song. And I don't know much. Oh, that's Aaron Neville. (laughs) But I know I love you. Apache, get on it. Time to jump on it. So, so, like... Yeah, he's talking to the camera, which I don't mind in this. It's very Ferris Bueller-y, but the reason why they did it is because the narration in the book and how he narrates his life in the book is so good that it it would be a shame to break it up. So it's like an integral part of the story in many ways. It is, because it's his mental narrative. Hmm. Um, And, And like jumping back to... Like, you know, how, like, his encounter with the journalist and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. It really does make him out to be, you know, like, it really does make him seem like he hasn't learned anything because the way he's acting is just kind of like his ego is so fragile that, like, because, like, I thought a pretty girl is like, hey, you're really good at spinning records. Oh, I must cheat on my love. It's like, it's like in Arrested Development anytime. You know, Job or someone else, just like the camera just zooms, is like, I've made a horrible mistake. Yeah. that That's what it felt like. And he even talks about, like, what am I doing? Like, am I just going to jump from rock to rock? Yeah. What am I doing? Well, I thought you were, you know, growing up, but apparently not. I would love for Ron Howard from Arrested Development <laughs> to just take over. <laughs> what am I doing? Something bad. It was. <laughs> Am I going to jump from rock to rock? He did. <laughs> this time it's going to stick. It didn't. <laughs> oh, man, I'm finally going to get with Laura. Like Pete Rose diving into home plate. <laughs> it's high fidelity. Um, so, as we said before, they're toxic. Laura, I wanted to like Laura. Like, like you want Laura's character to be good, but she makes just as many mistakes as he does. And I guess the moral of the story is that we're all human and we can't, you know, come to terms. But, like, this is not a healthy relationship. Because mm. he even proposes to her and he's like, she's like, you were, like, making a, a mixtape for another girl a few days ago. Why should I... Yeah, she she legit laughs at his... Like wedding proposal at first, and and she's like, yeah, we're just gonna cheat on each other and get back together. We're gonna be like John and Yoko. <laughs> like, yeah, he ha- he has like a massive, like almost kind of domestic, uh, like borderline bordering on emotional abusey kind of freak out over like the flyer, which I mean <laughs> well, is kind of. I mean, I think be- that had to do more with him being afraid to succeed. Yeah, I guess so. Um and. <laughs> So, so yeah, like, of the toxic relationships we've been talking about, so the scale that we created, Heather's is at the top because that's the most toxic relationship. That Mm -hmm. is 
awful. People die. Yeah. The favorite is Christians right later. Yeah. The favorite is right underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, because they are awful to each other. And I would say that this is above 500 Days of Summer. Because 500 Days of Summer is about a 20-something-year-old. Mm. Rob and his crew are in their late 30s, early 40s. Like, Yeah, that's like, I mean, you're at that age and you're still going through that kind of what like, does high it school all drama. Mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of disappointing. Now, something that you uh, and just, I... Just out of curiosity, yeah. where would you rank the movie Love Story? Because I feel like that has one of the most toxic relationships of any, like you know romance film i don't want to tackle that because like she has ali mcgraw's disease like she she has that disease where she's dying of some sort of cancer but she gets more and more attractive because of that movie it, it's called ali mcgraw's disease in movies ah. when when a beautiful woman gets more beautiful and dies of more cancer so love story is exempt from your scale like i i think he's worse than she is but I uh, yeah yeah admittedly it's a one-sided sort of toxic relationship. Yeah. Um I think The Graduate is one of the most toxic relationships which I'll probably cover next year. Oof. Um but but this one it's toxic in a way where it doesn't have to be if they just grew up and started acting their ages and stopped being mm. so self-involved. He's afraid to succeed so he uses that as an excuse to act the fool so like the real problem is just no one's emotionally mature at this point no no they're not which is sad because they're all like 40 (laughs) and i mean the i think he he learns his lesson at the end but who knows if this is going to stay a toxic relationship like as soon as considering how easily he came close to flip just completely flipping and losing all of his progress after talking with the journalist lady yeah because like that phone conversation is even creepy like that's a that's a weird conversation um so speaking of creepy i don't mean to like cut you off but when he's like you know rethinking getting back together with laura and going through his top 10 list of like, you know, things he misses about Laura. It, that got pretty creepy after a while when he said, like, I miss her smell. Uh, it's like, reason number four, reason number five. Or I just, I want to smell your presence. Yeah, I mean, the things in that list where, like, I look, uh, it starts off sweet. Like, I love her laugh. She laughs with her her whole body, and it's warm and inviting. Oh, that's sweet. I I I love, like, how when she can't, get to sleep she'll rub her feet a certain number of times on each side uh, oh, why were you oh, keeping track oh, okay that's a little weird i miss I her smell i know something's wrong because she rubbed her feet three times instead of three and seven three point seven five times <laughs> i miss her smell so what <laughs> she used to fart on me i loved it like what okay that took a turn <laughs> now it's a john waters movie <laughs> So, what's going to happen is that uh, Rob, Rob is his name, of course. So, we're going back to the classic, he's toxic, like I did with Crybaby, and she is probably a drag queen, like Divine. So, Laura's going to be played by Divine, and he's going to be played by Johnny Depp. Bruce, you're out. Someone get Fred Schneider on the phone. 
So what you're gonna do today <laughs> is you're gonna get the girl back. <laughs> Actually, that might be a much better movie <laughs> if he goes to Fred Schneider for advice. It's like a it's B-52 like, it's like a song. It's like a B-52 song. You have the girl that you really want. <laughs> you take the girl to the love shack and all kinds of fun things happen there. She's back. <laughs> Busted. So is, so is the love shack a metaphor? No, it's a literal shack. Get the girl that you want back. <laughs> take her to the love shack. I'm going to go. I wish you would. You're kind of harshing my boss. Oh, man. John, John Waters, high fidelity. With... <laughs> or would, would he go with, would he go full crybat baby? Or would he go like early 2000s like he did and start casting like Edward Furlong and everything like he did? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, so like we talked about what we always do. Um, so... My buddy's at the boot, usually reboot stuff, but I'm kind of glad that I'm doing High Fidelity because I can boot it. I can reboot it or, or remake it how I want. They can't because it's actually being remade as a TV series for Amazon Prime with Zoe Kravitz, Lisa Bonet's daughter, is playing huh. Robin Gordon. Interesting. Um, But, like, if if I was making this today, because, like, I feel like you could do this successfully and and tweak Rob to be more charismatic. Oh yeah, you got that's that's imperative. And I was thinking about it like I have two people who who I would cast as Rob and I can't decide. Um once again, if you don't listen to the boot, subscribe to the boot. They're the greatest. Uh Kenna and Brian, love you guys. You're the mm. best. Um but my Rob uh I kind of want to go with Oscar Isaac. Oh yeah, Oscar Isaac, or the the most accurate one I think would be Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Hmm. But I'm gonna go with Oscar Isaac. Those are both probably pretty good ones. I'm going with Oscar Isaac. Um, when we were like watching, and uh, I should parse this by saying I can really only come up with like, you know, actors for the main four because those are the only ones whose names I could remember. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I actually couldn't really think of one for Rob at first. So, and this is just kind of a lark, but I'm going with Adam Scott for Rob. I love Adam Scott. Mostly That's on the a basis, great choice. mostly on the basis of uh, Ben Wyatt. Uh, yeah, a bit of Ben Wyatt, but also quite a bit of uh, his stint on "Are you talking? You talking you two to me?" Just because of how deeply in depth he cares about you two, like that could probably translate really well into. Like, I think he's a great a choice, obs- like a music obsession sort of thing, like that. I mean, I picked Oscar Isaac because he knows music really well. Um, he's a musician. If you haven't seen Inside Lewin Davis, which might be my favorite Coen Brothers movie of all time, like he's just so good. Hmm. Um, I think he would be a good one if we were going mainstream. If I was going for a more indie vibe, I'd actually cast. No, but I'm changing. Three times I've changed. My final choice is going to be Donald Gleason. Huh. Interesting uh, choice. From Frank. And and About Time. Yeah, I could get behind that. I th- I think he would be really good. Um he he's lovable. He can be a dick when he needs to be. Right. Um like in Frank. Right. But he also if you've seen About Time, he is just so charming and British. Right. Cuz I I was contemplating whether or not I would go with him for uh 
Todd Luazo's character of Dick, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make him my lead. Okay. So that moves us on to like Laura next, I guess. Y- do you want to say Laura for the end, or do you want to go to Barry next? Uh, y- your call, I guess. No, no, you're my guest. All right. <laughs> it's like blazing saddles. Since you are my guest and I am your host, what would you like to do? What are your pleasures? Mm, Scott, that's putting an awful lot of pressure on me, Scott. No, I'm I not just, trying to. I, I no, feel like you, you're you're giving me like the, like the entire no, no, foundation no, no. of the podcast no. is sitting on my shoulders no, now. No, no. It's, it's, kind of it's a simple it's decision. This is really, no, do you want Scott, Barry Scott, or do you want Laura? You're starting no, to hector no, me, Scott. Me. You're, you're hectoring no, me. No, no, I don't no. like it when you... Eighth time we've done that. Had to get that in somewhere. Yeah. I thought we were actually going to do it towards the bagels. Um, but Yeah, I guess we could do Laura next. Um. Uh, that was another one that I, like, the only ones I really truly had down were Barry and Dick, but for Laura, it's funny because we were talking about it earlier, I might say either Gillian Jacobs or... Gillian Jacobs is a great choice. Or Natalie Morales. I love Natalie, uh, actually, Natalie Morales is my choice for Marie DeSalle. Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, so I'm jumping the gun there. Um, so are you going with Natalie Morales or Um, Gillian? Yeah, I'm gonna say Nat- I'm gonna say Natalie Morales. Actually, my Laura, I'd pick is actually uh, Zazie Beats. Uh, who's that? From um, Atlanta and Deadpool Two. Oh, okay. Oh, actually, no, she was my Marie DeSalle. <laughs> Crap. No, yeah, I'm sticking with her as Marie DeSalle. My Laura hmm. is um uh, what's her name from? I gotta look at. Oh, wait, I take back what I said earlier. I also have a casting for Ian, but that's really about it. Just those five characters. I I also have a casting for all of the ladies. <laughs> um, Yeah, my lore is actually... I'm going to go with uh, Stephanie Beatrice from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Okay. Um, I think that she doesn't get enough credit, and if you've ever seen interviews with her, she's so charming. Hmm. And if she's more like herself than she is like Rosa, I think she'd be really adorable as Laura and Very cool. her playing off Donald Gleason might be really enjoyable. All right. Cause I, I could have gone with the, the classic casting Rose Byrne cause I would cast Rose Byrne and everything if mm. I could, but I gotta go someone new. I'm going to go with Stephanie Beatrice. All right. Uh, who's next? Barry. Barry. Um, for Barry, I think we might have the same choice. I'm not sure if we do. Um, because for Barry, I had two choices either, and they're, and they're both like entirely on, like they're both UCB people. So they're like very big in podcasts and stuff, but they've also been in some network stuff. Um, I would say, and funnily enough, they're both named John. I would say either John Gabrus. I knew you were going to go with John Gabrus. Or John Gemberling. I knew you would go with him too. (laughs) I like John Gabrus. Well, I wanted to go with someone who could sing. Oh yeah? I went with Adam Devine. Huh. That's a that's a pretty good choice actually. Because as I was watching Now I'm starting to rethink mine because it didn't occur to me that like, yeah, he sings at one point. As I was watching um young Jack Black, I just got this young Adam Divine vibe. Okay, I have a new one actually. Uh <laughs> okay. I have a new one. Uh Mike Mitchell. From oh, Love. Yeah, Mike Mitchell's great. He And I know he can sing. I I think that's a great choice. Yeah. I'm going with Mike Mitchell instead. Uh, so... And if you've ever heard him on Doughboys, he is very good at getting angry over the stupidest shit. 
Dick. <laughs> Dick. Um, I think you're going to like my choice. Uh, my choice, Paul Rust. That also is from a, Love. That is a good choice. My choice is Lakeith Stanfield. Oh, that's a good one. Because you need someone who's very quiet and reserved. And like, I, I think that Lakeith would just be so charming. And also, um, and I, I, would, I would cast Tessa Thompson as Anna Moss. So we could have a little Sorry to Bother mm. You reunion. Very nice. I think that'd be a nice little cameo. Yeah, that'd be yeah. cool. Zazie Beats was my Maria DeSalle. Mm. Um, and Ian, who's your Ian? Uh, my Ian, like, I thought about this for a bit, but I I don't know if you'll feel the same way, but I fucking love the choice that I made. My Ian is David Cross. That is a great choice. Because my... I love David Cross and almost everything he does, and I will admit openly, he is a huge asshole. <laughs> my Ian is Jermaine Clement. Oh, that's a good one, too. I, I was going to go between him and uh, Rice Darby, and I settled on Jermaine Clement. Hmm. And I think Jermaine Clement would be an amazing, an amazing Ian. Yeah, that'd be a good one. <laughs> so you don't have any of the, the other girls? I couldn't remember their names. Oh, Penny Hardwick. I don't got one. Okay. I mean, if I had a little bit of time, I could probably think of one for... Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones is one because that's the only one that really made any sort of major impact yeah. on me besides Laura. Yeah, that that's an easy one for me to pick. Um, Maya Rudolph. Just because I feel like she can do bombastic really well, but also like really pretentious. That is a good choice. I was going with Jenny Slate. That's probably a good pick too, yeah. And uh, Lily Taylor's character, Sarah. <laughs> um, I was gonna go with Jane Levy, mm-hmm. um, and Penny Hardwick. I was actually gonna have a mini about a time reunion and do Rachel McAdams. Hmm. Very cool. So yeah. So. Oh wait, wait, wait! We're missing out on the most important one of all. Who do you cast as Lewis? Which oh, <laughs> Alex Desert's character. Which, hey, I'm the mythical guy. Now I'm going. Idris Elba. <laughs> I'm just here for craft service. That's pretty good. Idris Elba's pretty or, good. Or Shuatel Ejiofor. <laughs> just any Oscar-nominated charming <laughs> British <laughs> <laughs> they made a musical of this they made a musical of high fidelity and they didn't cast anyone famous in it and it tanked oh that's a shame or maybe it wasn't a shame i don't know if it was good or not eh. i um, was literally about to say richard iowade richard iowade would be a great choice richard iowade would actually he would make it he would great steal the dick. scene he'd he'd be a great dick actually oh yeah that's true he'd be a good i'm, I'm sticking with paul russ though i, th- I think i picked richard iowade for when we did buckaroo bonds <laughs> Yeah, that. Wait, did you pick Richard Iowade or did I? I forget. You picked Lakeith Stanfield. Oh I, yeah, that's I right. I picked Richard Iowade for. Yeah, but I think I picked him for like a different role entirely, though. Like you picked him for Terrence Trent Darby's character. <laughs> it, I know he's not Terrence. Go Trent back Darby. and listen to it and tweet at us and let us know where we made mistakes. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh no! Wait, I thought of another one. If not Adam Scott for uh, Rob's role. For some reason, I had it in my head, maybe Jason Manzukis. 
As the lead? Yeah. That's not bad. Now what? I'm going to steal Adam Scott. Sorry, Donald. <laughs> All <laughs> right. There's nothing I could do. He took it. So I guess I'm going with Jason Madzukas now. <laughs> Adam Scott and... I think Adam Scott and... Uh, I'm replacing my Laura now. <laughs> and my dogs are barking. Um, they're, I'm re- they're not happy. Kristen Bell they're not, is... They're not happy you stole Adam Scott from me. Kristen Bell. If Adam Scott is going to be my Rob, then Kristen Bell is going to be... Huh. My uh, my Laura. That's pretty good. I think Kristen Bell would be a good choice for that. So, um, I guess since like you cast all those other ha- all their female characters that I can't remember the names of, I'm just gonna throw out three names that I want to see in a movie like this. Uh, Tony Newsom from Bajillion Dollar Properties. Tony Newsom. Uh, Janet Varney. I love Janet Varney too. And uh, uh, what the hell? We were talking about her earlier. Let's give Ego and Wodum a part. She is good as well. Yep. <laughs> Um, so my, my cast is Adam Scott, uh, Kristen Bell. So Adam Scott is Rob. Kristen Bell is Laura. Adam Devine is Barry. Lakeith Stanfield is Dick. Idris Elba is Lewis. (laughs) I just love that. It's like when he shows up on The Office. Um, and then I had Rachel McAdams as Penny. I'm still keeping her. Um. Jenny Slade as Charlie, uh, Lily Taylor's character. Um, I forgot who I casted. Hmm. I don't think I ever said, um, but oh, Jane Levy. Right. Um, and yeah, I I, I would see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what what other takeaways? I mean, I think Cusack is good in this. I think he did this because he wanted. He always got like, hey, Lloyd Dobler from Say Anything, and I think this was his anti Lloyd Dobler. Yeah, I mean, I guess I kind of agree with you. Like, I mean, I didn't like the character throughout the entirety of the movie, but in retrospect, that was probably entirely by choice on John Cusack's part. And so on that sort of level, he probably he definitely did a really good job. Yeah, I mean, where does it say in a movie that you need a a lead who is as likable? I I feel this is like the Don Bluth principle. If they're redeemable, then you're fine. Right. Um, so how many bagels? If you're new to the podcast, on a scale of 1 to 13, normally on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 is shit and 10 is great. On a scale of 1 to 13 bagels, a baker's dozen, 1 or 0 is still shit and 13 is fantastic. I'm going to say that this uh, this leaves like... Um... This leaves six bagels for me. Oh wow, that low. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, there were some really good there were some good parts of it, but on the whole, like it was hard for me to get too behind like a lot of the characters just because all of them seemed really damaged and like really need to seek help. Yeah, I like that aspect of it. So I have nine bagels left. Hmm. I couldn't I couldn't like, you know, go lower than that, of course, because it was still like compelling at parts, but yeah. yeah. Also, I want to hear Ghostbusters by Marie DeSalle. <laughs> oh, and I had I had Zazie Beats as my Marie DeSalle. <laughs> um, oh, I don't think I came up with a Marie DeSalle. Uh, <laughs> are you going to cast your daughter? Are you going to cast Zoe Kravitz? <laughs> uh, crap, I can't think of one. So, uh, 
Lils, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Um, do you want to plug your stuff? Uh, yeah, go check out the podcast I do with Pat Barry, Jukebox Zeros, wherever podcasts can be found. Um, if this episode is coming out as quickly as I understand it's going to, our most recent episode, we did one on... Uh, Sid Barrett? Yep. We did one on The Madcap Laughs by Sid Barrett, which is not a bad album. We normally focus on bad albums. So depressing. But it was His mostly story just... An, is so depressing. Yeah, it was mostly an excuse to have our friends uh, Pam and Jason Lane from the radio show On the Town with Mikey Dion, because Pam is just about the biggest Sid Barrett fan that you will ever meet. She also... They're both delightful. Yeah. They, they were so delightful. Yeah, they, <laughs> they, were, they were great guests. Um... And uh, we're actually having a second episode come this week. Um, so be on the lookout. If you want to watch it, we're doing Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion because we're doing spring movies for April. We're doing fun, festive, springy. Like, Haley came up with a great title that I keep forgetting, and that's my bad. But we're doing Romeo and Michelle's. We're going to be doing some other great stuff. So, yeah, be on the lookout for that. L- watch the movie because... Alan Cumming in Romeo and Michelle's is amazing. Mm. Um, and you can find us on the Twittersphere. We're on the Twitter. Writers Twitter. Ba- at Writers Bagel Basket. No vowels. All vowels. No vowels. W-R-T-R-B-A-G-L-B-A-G-L-B-S-K-T on Twitter. And then at Writers Bagel Basket on Instagram. We're all there. Everything's there. And we're on Facebook. Find us on Facebook and email us, writersbagelbasket at gmail.com. So until next time, Lils, thank you again for being here. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. Bye.